there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Second period. All right, welcome to Vegas Hockey Hotline from the Brian Blessing Studio. KSHP 1400. I'm Dana Lane. That's Chris the Moose Johnson. Brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. Dennis Bernstein is absolute gold. I love having him on. He said he sent me a text. He said, hey, I'm a little sleepy today. <laughs> well, it's okay. My producer's having uh, Novocaine withdrawals, and I'm having three-day off withdrawals. So it's, it's all good. It's no problem. NHL news today, Rick Bonus. they talked to him about, of course, being hired as the Winnipeg Jets head coach, and he said he doesn't mind being the second choice. Uh, Winnipeg Jets' new coach was introduced on Monday, a little bit more than a, a week after the team's first choice. Barry Trott said, uh, no thank you, and that's fine. You know what, and I think Rick Bonus handled it exactly the way that you would want your head coach to handle it. I mean, there's no way Rick Bonus is going to go to the media and say, "Wow, well, I, you know, I, I wanted to be the first choice." That's Barry Trotz. <laughs> if you're second choice to Barry Trotz, I'm still taking something away from that. So Rick Bonus is the, uh, of course, new head coach at the uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning traded veteran defenseman Ryan McDonough to the Nashville Predators on Sunday. Uh, that cleared some cap space for them. And the Vancouver Canucks, if you haven't heard, uh, re-signed Brock Besser. We talked about that last week. He has a three-year deal uh, carrying an annual uh, value of $6.65 million. And according to Cap Friendly, the deal also includes a 10-team no-movement clause in his final season. Those are big details to know. <laughs> Make sure you know the no-movement clause is in the contracts. I cannot believe uh, anybody would not know that. Okay, uh, let's welcome to the show the man who has made this all possible. Uh, of course, uh, we love talking to him on Mondays and Fridays, but we had the holiday yesterday, so we moved him to Tuesday. And Chuck Esposito, uh, please walk down the red carpet and welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's always good to be on with you, Dana. I love uh, kind of kicking off the week. Hope everybody had a uh, happy and, and fun and healthy uh, 4th of July, and it's, uh, it's good to be on with you. It had to be a pretty good weekend for you guys on the diamond. We had some uh, underdogs win uh, yesterday. It was a, I know it was good for me uh, because I'm an underdog better, so I assume that that means it was good for you as well. Yeah, I think overall it was, it was a good weekend, a little bit more parity in, in, in baseball. Saw a really, really good uh, handle across the board on uh, the UFC card on Saturday. And even you think about yesterday, I mean, both the Royals and um, Cubs had opportunities to win those games, which even would have, uh, you know, kind of uh, magnified the how big the day could have been yesterday. But uh, some of these bad teams just find a way to lose late in games, Dana. And that was the case yesterday. The Cubs, I think, are still 0, 0 for extra innings this year, which is a little bit of a, a head scratcher, why they don't take a different approach or play small ball and try to get that run home. 
Um, but the Royals had a 5 nothing lead yesterday before ultimately losing the game. Granted, they're able to cover the run line, but uh, still, 5-0 lead kind of midway through that game, still found a way to lose. What did you get? And I wondered about that, too. Uh, when they and, and they eventually scored six runs, and Houston still was able to overcome that. I mean, did you get any in-game wagering that you know of on Houston? And what was that number, if you know it off the top of your head? Yeah. I don't know it off the top of my head. I mean, we definitely see that, you know, especially, um, you know, when, when you have a really good team that is um, down in a game and we, we know how good Houston is. I mean, if it's not for the Yankees, I mean, we're, we're talking about Houston being so dominant in the American League right now. Um, so uh, I, I don't know what the number was, but we definitely saw some in play on it. Yeah, and the Yankees, of course, we talked about this. I don't know if I said it to you, uh, Chuck, but the Yankees are over 500. <laughs> After being down in a game, they're the only team in the major league base in major league baseball that's over 500 after being down in a game. I mean, that is absolutely dominant, and, and of course, it, it really is. It, mean, it's it, unbelievable it's crazy to, to see that. Yeah, we're not going to have to worry about that, I don't think, over the next two days as the Yankees start their two game series with. I don't even know if two is a series, but. That's all I can say uh, uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, Tyon and Quintana. And, and I, I I assume the book is going to be Pirate fans for the next two days, even though uh, you're looking at a pretty heavy price with New York. But I, I was a little bit surprised, if I'm being honest with you, at this number. Uh, can you tell me a little bit what went into it? Because I thought the Yankees would be well into the minus $2 against Pittsburgh. I think it's still that you're looking at a you know a team that's uh, uh, on the road and you have a young pitcher that has had some struggles a little bit of late um, against a, a veteran pitcher um, and I think that's part of it. Um, but you know they're still a, a huge favorite on the road. I mean you think about they're 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 24 and 13 away. Where at home they're so dominant at 34 and nine. And I think you look at this pirate team that. You know, they're not horrific at home. And they're only three games, I believe, below 500 at home at 19 and 22. They're a worse road team than anything else. They've got a lot of young, talented players, which I know you and I talked about, but but watching Cruz play and some of the other young players that they have, I mean, it, it, it's fun to see these guys get a chance to come up and, and, and play. I think I've watched a lot of the uh, uh, baseball this year, and both them and the Cardinals seem to have a lot of young, talented players that are making an impact early on. And I think those all kind of factor in now will this price go up from where it is now my guess is it will dana and we are clearly going to be bucko fans both on the side and the run line no question tonight you know and looking at the the cardinals too and kind of projecting where they're going to be as as the season winds down i'm looking at the middle of that lineup uh with, with even starting off with uh, brendan donovan in that second spot with goldschmidt and arenado nolan gorman I mean, you even go down to that six or seven spot, depending on where they have them. This Juan Yepes kid is a fantastic talent, uh, a lot of fun to watch. And you can see the evolution of the middle of this Cardinal lineup. I, I know they didn't get it done last night against St. Louis, but you never, or against Atlanta, but you never felt like they were out of the game. I can really see where they're going to be a problem deep into the season. Yeah, I like all their young hitters as well. They haven't really scored a lot of runs for the last several games. Um, kind of a, although he bats at the, the tail end, Bader uh, really kind of sets the stage with his kind of stolen bases and um, you know playing the small ball and seems to create a lot for them. They've got young players in Bader and Donovan, um, you know, who have some speed in that lineup as well. I think pitching is going to be still be a big key to them. I like their the, the back end. 
um, you know, with, with Gallegos and Presley, they've got, you know, some, some good back-end guys. Uh, Hudson has really struggled. We know Wainwright still, you know, he's the anchor for that team. They've got some young starters that they've, they've kind of brought up. Um, but they might be somebody who looks for to add one more starter at the deadline as well. Yeah, and that's a good point because uh, Harrison Bader, who has the foot injury, is going to be on the IL for the uh, next seven to eight days, I believe. He went on three days ago. When he's in a lineup, they're 21 games above 500. Uh, when he's not, they're three under to tell you exactly you know, how much he means to that team. And, of course, Yadier Molina will be back uh, later in the year as well. Uh, who you know he's going to anchor that lineup. I mean, I could just see this team uh, getting a lot stronger as the season goes on. And, and watching the Brewers and the Cubs uh, over the weekend, I just thought, man, I, I just think I always have felt this about the Cubs, no offense. But from the Milwaukee standpoint, I'm like, I just don't see the where this – lineup is going to evolve in this division to be able to challenge St. Louis getting into September. You're talking about Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Milwaukee, I mean, I, I think from the pitching side of it, they, they clearly, um, you know, at, at uh, the, the first three guys in the rotation um, are, are dominant, and I think they do have an advantage over the Cardinals there. And I think on the back end with, with Hayter, um, but uh, but maybe hitting-wise, the Cardinals with that lineup. But we, we know that when it comes to the postseason, though, when you can roll out guys like, like Burns and Woodruff, um, that they're awfully good at the top end. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, I think, in that division to see the way that it that all kind of uh, unfolds. But um, for me, those two teams are really, really good in the Central. I think the Cardinals need that, that extra piece, though, um, at, at, in the rotation to help them kind of win the Central. Yeah, and I sure would like uh, them to get some clutch hitting, which they didn't do uh, so far in the series against Atlanta. How, how much does the fact a pitcher use used to pitch for another organization, and I guess we'll just you know spill it out. Jamison Tyon, of course, uh, used to pitch, pitch in the Pittsburgh organization, and like everybody else, he's fantastic after he leaves. But how much does that factor in when – he faces his old team. I assume that that would be more of a, a positive towards the pitcher than the team he left. Yeah, it would be. I think there's extra incentive um, in there uh, for anybody that leaves a team um, when they go back and play against that team. I think in any sport, in any position, it's not a huge factor. Again, I, I think you look at a, a Yankee team that is, you know, 58 and 22 and and so many games above 500, and how good they are on the road against a young pirate team um, that you know has had some struggles this year. So you know we know what side they're going to play. I mean, there's no question. Again, we are going to be Bucko fans in this game. Um, but uh, but I, I think it, it factors in Dana in all sports really that when you've got a really good team playing uh, against a bad team and especially a big market team that they're going to bet that team regardless if it's extra incentive for the, the pitcher, the quarterback, the linebacker, the you know, the the, the shooting guard, the center, etc. Well let's jump over to football, Chuck. I mean, we are what, less than a month now or right at the month point for the first exhibition game. I mean, the NFL is coming and uh, probably the NFL, unlike any other sport, uh, everybody is all in from day one on the exhibition season. So talk about that and, and also just give us a little bit of a wrap up on the USFL as they crown their champion this past weekend. Yeah, I, I think with the, with the NFL, you're right. Uh, it, it is king. And in many cases, the, the handle on preseason games dwarf that of handle on baseball games that are in the middle of tennis stretches. I think that just screams 
um, the, to, the, to the value and to the popularity of pro football. We've had the Hall of Fame game up with the Raiders and Jags for quite some time now. We added the, the first Thursday game, um, August 11th, the Giants-Patriots line and the Titans-Ravens, that's up. And we'll be adding the rest of week one's full preseason schedule, uh, hopefully by the end of this weekend. Um, you know, we've had a bunch of props up that we talked about. We're continually looking to add to the overall wagering menu and kind of breaking down the divisions and going through everything. Um, and, again, I think that just speaks volumes about football. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, when football season rolls around with our last man standing contest and a great time to get the app, um, football clearly is king. USFL, I think, for its, um, you know, first, first season again, um, was moderately successful from our side of the counter. Again, such a correlation between being able to watch an event and wager on an event um, that I think helped add to the overall kind of popularity from uh, from the wagering public on USFL games. Did you, when you were in the book this weekend and the game was on, um, did you hear people openly, you know, watching the game and rooting for, you know, Birmingham or whatever side that they had? I mean, was it any kind of a, from a noise standpoint, any kind of a impact on your on your book? Um, you know, it's hard to say, Dana, because the games are going on simultaneously with right. so many other things going on, and especially on the weekend, the crowd is is quite kind of lively and into it. And you know, depending on what happens in any sport at any specific time, um, you could hear an outburst. So I would say a yes. Um, I just can't pinpoint exactly what it was that uh, you know the play or anything that did it. But but overall, again, I, I saw an uptick in handle um, throughout the course of the season, and there is such a correlation being able to watch and wager on events that having football kind of throughout the summer um, still added something to our overall wagering menu. And you guys put out a a graphic every day on social media that updates like your key games that your book determines. And it's different. It's not the key game is not usually the marquee game. So how do you determine which one are your key games for your book? Yeah, I think that sometimes they are the marquee game. We're looking at a game that we think will will draw really good interest and is going to be kind of something that is the focal point of, of, of that day um, in all sports to, to designate as a key game. I'd say in baseball um, today, you definitely have that with, with probably St. Louis and Atlanta um, are right up there. Maybe Tampa and Boston as well um, you could designate as key games. And those would be kind of the two most competitive and maybe intriguing matchups of the day. Um, that we would designate as kind of our key games or, or marquee matchups uh, for the day. Well, I mean, the only reason I say that is that yesterday you had the Mets and Marlins as your your top key game or your first key game in that list, and I I assume it's just because that was the first game to be played that day. Correct, correct, yeah, just kind of kicking off the day, and it was you know it was the holiday, it was a Fourth of July where you had earlier baseball, and it was a quite an early start so that's the reason we kicked that one off with a uh, a kind of a, a key game notation and then now do you have to stay in the book like houston and st louis or, or st louis uh in atlanta just would not end last night do you have to stay in the book until that's done uh, not me personally but of course we have our our traders here that are that are you know monitoring and, and posting uh, events throughout the course of the day anything that's kind of in play or in progress or or props that are impacted by a game that ends so um but uh, they, they were handling it and did an awesome job uh, it seems like every fourth of july there's some game that just doesn't end <laughs> I, I listen i've watched more baseball this past weekend than 
I probably had all all year. I probably watched close to 30 hours of baseball this past weekend. So I I am all in right now. I mean, it is it, it really is and I didn't we talked about this early in the season where we thought there was a lot of separation, but I I feel like that that gap has closed a little bit. We see, uh, you know, even even down to the point where you know Detroit takes two from Cleveland, a, a team that uh, the the Guardians have absolutely dominated throughout history, and Detroit takes two in a doubleheader. I, I think you're seeing a little bit of pushback from those bottom teams again. Yeah, I would say a little bit. Um, it kind of goes um, through spurts a little. I think you look at the teams at kind of the top of every division now. And there's maybe not as much dominance. I think you see the Astros, uh, the Brewers on top that are really playing well over the last 10 games. And there seems to be a lot more parity. You know, if it's Mets, Braves, Cardinals, um, you know, Dodgers, Padres, all kind of playing right around 500 ball or below. And even the Yankees and Red Sox just 6-4 and four in their last 10. Jays 4-6, and six, um, Twins 6-4, and four, Guardians 4-6. and six. Uh, then you jump to the West where the Astros are 9-1. and one. So I think if you look at their records over the last 10 days, which translates to what kind of happened over the weekend, you're seeing a little bit more parity there across the board. Yeah, with the Dodgers, I mean, you saw uh, they seem to be having a difficult time against Colorado this year for some reason. And have you seen a drop-off, like say, for instance, when the Dodgers and the Padres play the marquee series and then – you know, say they go to play Colorado in the next series. Do, do you see that kind of a drop-off in baseball uh, from series to series based on importance like you see in other sports? I think you do. It's hard to kind of put my finger on it. I mean, you know, the, you uh, uh, you saw them still, you know, they got behind one nothing last night and kind of trailed most of that game before they had the big inning. Um, I think you do see that sometimes, but uh, – um, it, it, again, it's hard to kind of put a finger if you see a drop on it. I mean, the baseball season is so much longer um, at 162 games. I mean, we know in, in football that every single game becomes, uh, you know, a, a must win for so many teams that they're jockeying for, for playoff position. And saw so a team like the Colts last year who kind of stubbed their toe toward the end of the season, they really cost them with some bad losses, especially, um, you know, with the Jags in there. Um, but in baseball, it's a long season. One game's not going to make or break that, and you normally don't win the pennant in in, uh, in March and April. But um, but maybe a little bit of a drop off. But but I would say not much um, based on opponent. And then of course, uh, college football is is coming up. You already have your first game up uh, on the twenty seventh. Of course, a series of games on the twenty seventh. Northwestern and and Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico State, UConn, Utah State. I mean, it, it is just. I mean, baseball just gets buried, I would say, from from the first week of August on. I mean, how much of a drop-off do you see once football, especially when college football starts, how much of a drop-off do you see in baseball betting? There's a considerable drop-off. I'd say in the range of at least 30 to 40%. Um, and it's strange because, again, as we kind of touched on, there's so many teams, and especially with the expanded uh, playoff format now, that are jockeying for um, you know playoff position and and where they're going to be, um, but a meaningless preseason game, especially the ones that are on TV. And there's more and more um, uh, preseason football games on TV than ever before. Um, it just it just outnumbers what you see in a handle on a baseball game, which is a little bit head scratching. But again, that shows you the power of football. Do people just enjoy? I mean, obviously they like football better, but do you see? I mean, if you had to rank the the sports uh, as far as betting popularity, 
the point spread sports are, are way more popular than the money line sports. I mean, does that factor into it as well? Or is it really just baseball and basketball are, are so much more popular than, say, the NHL and baseball? Yeah, I think it's just that, that football is so much more popular. Um, the point spread really becomes the ever equalizer, as we've talked about. You're going to look at, you know, Nebraska and Northwestern on that first Saturday and say, you know, I, I believe Nebraska is the far superior team, but are they better? You know, are they? We're asking them to win by two touchdowns to cover the number. So are they that much better? But I think it's just when football season rolls around and all kind of the hype and the optimism and everything with our contests and and parlay cards and and everything that we have to offer across the board, it just becomes you know uh, the the sport that everybody's looking at, both college and pro. And baseball does take somewhat of a backseat at that point, which is surprising again because you're you're in the middle or or toward the end then of teams really moving around and jockeying for playoff position. I mean, we've got the, the trade deadline August 2nd where teams are going to try to improve the, the um, expanded playoff format in baseball this year, which I think you'll see more teams potentially be buyers because that wild card round or that wild card game is kind of gone where it was just like one game. You win it, you move on, you lose it, you go home. And I, th- and I think teams were hesitant um, to kind of give up young players because of that. Now it's the best of three, which I think you're going to see t- more teams be buyers um, than you have over the last five, you know, five or six years. And I assume betting does tick back up again once the pl- postseason starts, but maybe not even to the point uh, where it is in April, where everybody's excited to see baseball back again. Does it does it exceed the betting in April, or uh, does it kind of just stay well, stale I mean, you, once you football starts? You have so starts? many games in April. But, yeah, when postseason rolls around, and I think this year again with the uh, expanded um, format, I think you're going to see a tremendous handle. What I love about baseball postseason is that you do have games during the week that are early start times, that you may have you know, three games in a day that are like 12, you know, 3, and 5.30 or 6 o'clock. So having them spaced out like that does generate a tremendous amount of handle. Do you and, – and, again, that, that's interesting, uh, and I always thought this about football, and they, they have changed the dates. I mean – when I was growing up, the NFL games would start at one and four, and that's the way it was, and it changed a little bit. But would you like to see those games staggered a little bit more on Sunday? In football? Yeah, in the NFL. Just a, just from a betting perspective, just to exhale for a second from game one to game two and not just have such no, a – I like the, you know, the, the two start times kind of that you have the – the 10 o'clock in the morning here, and then the 115, 125. Um, they're pushing more and more games to that kind of that 125 time slot, which gives the early games a chance to end, and then it all kind of gears up with the two primetime games on Sunday and Monday. Um, I kind of like the format of all the games going off at the same time. Uh, it, it, it makes for an exciting Sunday. I mean, our heads are on a swivel. Uh, the crowd is is never at a at a loss for cheering because you have so many games right. going on at the same time. But I mean, not the individual games, but just the early games versus the later games. Would you just like maybe about ten minutes more to get more action on those late games? Yeah, you you always want those early games to be over in time. So guess that you know that win can can re, can come back and and roll it over or play the afternoon games. And if you if you if you aren't as fortunate, you can kind of retool and and jump in the late games. So yeah, I would definitely want there to be uh, some sort of a gap between the early and late games. No question. How did the fireworks go? 
I assume it was out of control. I mean, there was great. I I have this Chuck just just to paint this picture. I I have this sun deck on my house, and and I can see all over the valley. It it was insane the amount of fireworks that were going off, and I could see Red Rocks as well. So, uh, fantastic job, I am assuming, and everybody had a great time. Yeah, I think it was great across the valley. Uh, fortunate to go to our uh, Green Valley Ranch property last night, my family, and enjoy the fireworks show there. And it was just spectacular. It was a beautiful night. Um, really wasn't windy at all. It was a little bit cooler uh, than it had been. I think it was the coolest 4th of July over the last 10 years, which made for a really comfortable night. And just a fireworks spectacular across the valley that Station Casinos put on. I mean, it was just phenomenal. It was just fun to be out there and and be with a lot of friends and and family and guests and just enjoy the evening. But even leaving and driving uh, away from there, you could just see fireworks throughout the valley, which was awesome. Uh, You know what's great where I live? I I live right up against a mountain, and everybody thinks that's uh, the launching pad. And it starts about, I don't know, June 28th or so. Uh, I think people just just light them (laughs) off in in, uh, celebration of not getting caught coming back from Pahrump. Uh, but no, it, it, there was a lot. I mean, I, I think I saw even later uh, last night. You could still hear a lot of the, you know, the the booms uh, across the valley late into the evening. But um, it was just a, a great spectacle that you could see everywhere. Well, Chuck, we appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you again on Friday. All right, sounds good, Dana. Thank you. All right, there he goes, Chuck Esposito from Station Casinos. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Joel Donnell, uh, broadcaster from the Minnesota Wild, will join us. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to StationCasinoSports.com or sign up at any Station Casino or Wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Dakota. Experience the thrill of the grill. John Smith Subs is home of the famous Steak Bomb and other premium deli subs with grilled-to-order marinated sirloin steak, grilled chicken, farm-fresh veggies, and delicious bread baked daily. Our subs are making a name for themselves with quality and flavor. Add an order of piping hot french fries and you have a meal you can't get anyplace else. Experience the thrill of the grill at John Smith Subs. Visit johnsmithsubs.com to find a location near you. Hey, Golden Knights fans, I'm attorney Adam Kuttner. I'm proud to be an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. We're giving you the chance to play at home along with the Golden Knights to win home game tickets through our power play giveaway. Each time the Golden Knights are on a power play, we'll pick one of my Twitter followers who tags me on Twitter with the hashtag Adam Kuttner power play. And when the Golden Knights score, that lucky fan wins tickets to the Fortress. So make sure to follow me on Twitter. Go Knights, go! Calling all Vegas Golden Knights super fans for the Terribles game day giveaway. 
During all of Vegas Golden Knights home games, visit any participating Terribles location, make a qualifying purchase, get a scratch card, enter on the Terribles app, and you could win a $1,000 Golden Knights shopping spree. Best yet, one lucky customer will win this prize every day the Vegas Golden Knights have a home game. Terribles Game Day Giveaway. It's only at Terribles. Visit Terribles.com for more details. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Decatur. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to stationcasinosports.com or sign up at any station casino or wildfire. Complete details available at all sports books. All right, welcome back to Vegas Hockey Hotline from the Brian Blessing Studio, brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. I'm Dana Lane along with Chris the Moose Johnson, who are we listening to? We're listening to Tech It by Kafune. No idea. Yeah, it's a it's a good band though. I made a mistake. What's up? Finally. Uh oh. Just kidding. <laughs> we we did, and I wanted to talk and the reason why I, I glossed over it is because uh, Doug Kazarian from ESPN was supposed to be on. He had a last minute meeting, and I wanted to ask him about the death of Hammer and Hank uh, Goldberg, who, uh, you know, as far as this guy's been in the industry forever. Rest in peace. A, a great piece uh, by Jeremy Schapp, which is up on my social media now, Dana Lane Sports on Twitter. A guy that I really wanted to talk with and, and or talk about, and Doug Kazarian, of course, worked with him on the Daily Wager on ESPN. So we'll, we'll get Doug on, and, and I should have asked Chuck about it. We even talked – talk with chuck early today and we totally glossed over it uh didn't mean to be disrespectful i have a great hammer and hank story uh about him and brian blessing and of course hammer and hank uh came in to do uh nfl like like a round table to preview the upcoming season and him and brian got into it about the buffalo bills one time and if you knew brian blessing there was no telling brian about the bills if he didn't agree with your opinion he'd let you know and then no matter what you said there was no oh yeah i can see your point no (laughs) so i remember him calling me up one night and saying uh you know hank hank said something ridiculous about the buffalo bills and <laughs> that was my that was my hammer and hang story uh-huh. okay uh welcome to uh welcome back and the bottom we go through and i'm all over the place because uh, we've had some cancellations that i had to switch some people around but uh, the minnesota wild to me are in a terrific position 
heading into the draft on Thursday. They have four picks in the first two rounds. They have eight selections overall. The rich keep on getting richer. And let's talk about that with the Wild. Let's bring in broadcaster for the Minnesota Wild, Joe O'Donnell. And Joe, uh, Bill Guerin and Dean Evanson have have to be very excited about uh, this upcoming week and, and really the future overall. I agree uh, completely, Dana. Thanks for having me on. It is uh, officially Judd Brackett season. He is the <laughs> Wilds director of scouting, um, second year at that post. And last year they felt they came out with one heck of a draft um, in a kid like Carson Lambos, a young defenseman playing up in the junior ranks. And then and then Wallstead, the young goalie that played in Sweden and is expected to come over to North America this year, most likely start the AHL with the Iowa Wilds. So, uh, two first-rounders last year, thanks to that Jason Zucker trade. Um, and now you got two this year. As you mentioned, some second-round uh, assets as well. So we'll see what they come out of, with, you know, out of the draft with. And they've already got a deep prospect pool, especially along the blue line. So I think uh, – Minnesota fans certainly will be paying a lot of attention to the draft this weekend in Montreal. And, of course, the Wild had a tremendous regular season this year under Dean Evanson. And a part of the reason, at least from my perspective, part of the reason why any team has success has to start with good chemistry and it has to uh, start with good culture. And I don't know if they're not the same thing. But I also think you have to have a a head coach that will – masterfully masterfully manipulate that culture in chemistry uh, does it, once you do have it though which i think minnesota had last year does it automatically mean it's coming back the year after i think it's a great question um i don't know about that uh you would think so right because it starts at the top so and really i think it even and begins a lot of ways with bill Guerin too and just that the winning approach, the business approach needed when the puck drops, but at the same time, you know, Billy G will tell you he was a guy that liked to have a lot of fun when he played, and he believes in that, you know, that side of it as well. So uh, the one thing I did like about the way the Wild, you know, from what I could tell last year, handled things, um, I don't want to say it was a hands-off approach with the coaching staff, but there were a lot of times that Dean would tell the media, um like, hey, I, I didn't go in after the first period. We as a staff didn't go in um, after the game last night or after the second period because the guys addressed it. Uh, and when you have your leadership group led by Jared Spurgeon, the captain, but certainly a larger group of veteran players sort of all taking that uh, ownership of, of that culture and that leadership, they're doing it themselves a lot of times. So they're turning too many pucks over in the first period. Sometimes the coaches don't need to go in and talk about it because – you know, they've they've heard the players in there themselves addressing it at intermission or on the bench. So um, I did like that side of it because too many times you get that same voice over and over and over again. Yes. It loses its meaning. And when you allow the players to police themselves a little bit, I think you have a pretty good situation. And that's what the Wild seemed to have last year. Yeah, we've seen in the offseason. I mean, almost every coach that's asked to, to leave their position – it's because they need a new voice in the locker room. And I guess if yep. your voice isn't always heard, and if you have multiple voices, uh, I guess your your voice never gets old at that point. Hey, tell me about this, Joe. Wasn't there a point where I think Minnesota, and correct me if the story is wrong, but Minnesota went to Los Angeles and they played the Kings and the Ducks and did that West Coast run. Wasn't there a time where Evanson just said, 
hey, look, we're not going to practice. You guys do what you got to do to show up at the rink. And I think there was some confliction with the with the arena, but it wasn't like, hey, look, I got to put my thumb on you and, and make sure that you're ready to play. It was more about I trust you, and I think you really get a lot out of your team coaching that way. There were a lot of situations throughout the year because of the crazy schedule, Dana, where, and this wasn't unique to the Wild, where just practice time uh, wasn't as available. And, and you know, for a lot of maybe the more casual fans, you think, well, morning skate, like, no, that's not a practice, right? Those guys come out on the ice for 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes it's optional. They touch some pucks. The goalies feel a few pucks off their pads, and guys get off the ice, and the guys that aren't playing put a little extra conditioning work. But when we're talking about a practice, Allen Iverson, we're talking about, like, you know, legit structure, working on the power play, working on the penalty kill. Um, there, wa- there wasn't a lot of that opportunity, at least in the wild schedule and the way things broke out last year. Uh, and Dean, a lot of times for morning skates, would give the guys the option, right? And a lot of times the, the large majority of the group will come out, but you know, there wasn't a ton of practice time down the stretch. I think he believes in, in rest being just as important. He trusts the guys to be prepared. They were overall a pretty good first-period team last year. It's not like they needed a, a little kick in the pants every now and then. Like they, they started games on time, whether they were on the ice that morning or the day before or not. So, again, I think that starts with the, the leadership group. The coaches trust them. Um, yeah, if there's a situation where they weren't ready, certainly the coaches let them know and, and maybe put them through the paces the next day. But for the most part, um, in a good way, the inmates ran the asylum, and I think that starts with the leadership group. And and uh, and so I guess back to your original question, yeah, I think that should, for the most part, continue to carry over. I mean, it, it, it's instilled now. Um, your captains and your alternate captains are coming back, and, and I would expect not much to change there. Hey, and we talk so much about – Hey, look, how much, you know, the fire in the belly a team is probably going to have the, the following year because they don't, they don't like how the, the exit went to the St. Louis Blues or, you know, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they should be fired up because of their loss to Colorado. I mean, I guess if we're going down those lines, every team should be fired up except one. But that doesn't always mean that you're, you don't have to win the cup to have your belly full. And sometimes you can go to the Western Conference Final. There's sometimes you can have a great regular season like Florida. And, and yeah, the postseason wasn't great, but what a great regular season that we had. And I guess you, you have to really find out who you are as a team. And then in your case, you also have to figure out, okay, how do we replace Kevin Fiala? What do we look like in goal heading into next season? And those are the things that can kind of skew chemistry, even though the, the mass majority of the players are still coming back. Yeah, and I'll take it a little bit of a different direction, too. For me, this regular season coming up for the Wild will be very interesting because, quite frankly, I don't know that they can play any better. I mean, they set, like, individual, meaning player, and team records last season. I want to say 40-plus. You know, goals scored, home wins, regular season overall wins, points. I mean, you name it. They shattered it individually. They had the first-ever... Uh, 100 point score and you know like i mean they they could not have had a better regular season um but then they came up short in round one against the blues so this regular season coming up for the wild again in my opinion very interesting because i don't know that they'll top 53 wins and 113 points like I, I just they might never do that again in franchise history it was that good of a year so it'll be important to see how the team's progressing see how they're building for the playoffs 
Can they peak at the right time? Are they a different team than last year that shows you they'll be more prepared to take down anybody they face in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I mean, the Blues were obviously a tough matchup. They had a you know 111-point season or whatever, so it's not like they lost and got upset by some slouch. Um, but for the Wild, you know, the fans now are going to be anxious for the next step in the playoffs. First-round exit's not going to get it done anymore. This is a team that has aspirations for the conference finals and beyond. Um, so how do you prepare yourself for that in the regular season? might not equal out to 55 wins and a, a President's Trophy, but how do you find a way to make sure you're prepared when you know, late April becomes May to be a better team? Yeah, and I just wonder, too, I mean, how angry, I, I guess, and, and that's a very motivating factor. I mean, I always look at things maybe from a, a statistical standpoint more than more than most. I mean, how angry do you think this team is going to come back after that exit against the Blues, say, you know, versus the year before, uh, where they also lost in the first round of the postseason? I mean, did you see that anger coming into the 21-22 season because of that first-round loss? And do you expect that same uh, that same sort of mentality to head into next season? I don't know if it would be anger. Dana, I kind of feel like it was just a motivated group. Uh, it was a team that definitely – in the um, previous shortened season, right? Not the initial COVID season with the bubble, but the following year where we had the different divisions and different schedule with 56 games all within the division. I think the Wild were a team playing out of the Pacific that year that snuck up on some teams. I don't think anybody expected them to be as good as they were. And I think this past season was, all right, we know we're good. We know Kaprizov's a star. You know, we know we have a really good goaltender and Cam Talbot to start the year, uh, new captain and Jared Spurgeon, and I think you just saw them kind of take that next step and put together a really solid and complete regular season. Now it's going to be, you know, how motivated are they um, to just be ready when the playoffs come? I think this is, again, a playoff team. Look, the Central Division is not easy. It's not like you just pencil them in um, because I think Winnipeg's going to be a better team. They got off to a slow start last year and never really recovered. Uh, so that central division is tough, but I think the Wild are going to put themselves in a spot to really want to take those necessary steps, like a little bit of that sour taste from the playoffs this year, take that, make sure you're ready to go when the regular season rolls around, and try and just build for the playoffs. Because I think this group now has had the taste of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but they haven't experienced a lot of success. I think for all those guys, and I don't want to speak for them, but I'd imagine the biggest thing for them is, we got to get back there, A, but B, we better be more prepared, better, and have learned from past failures when we do get there. And what do you expect your goaltending to look like next year? And I guess more specifically, what do you expect to happen with Marc-Andre Fleury? Yeah, I'd be surprised if he doesn't come back. I know there's been some uh, some rumors here in the last 24 hours about where he might end up, uh, but I know that Bill Guerin was confident in him coming back. Ultimately, it's Marc-Andre Fleury's decision. You know, it's it's going to be what's best for him and his family. He's accomplished so much in his career, as many of the Vegas listeners uh, to your show know. You know, it's not about um, it's not about money to him. It's not about a couple more wins on his resume. For Mark Andre Fleury, it's about a good situation for his family, trying to win another Stanley Cup. Um, I think he liked Minnesota, so if he can get his family out there and, be, and get situated, last year was a whirlwind for him, I'm sure, between that trade to the Blackhawks and a deadline deal in the wild and then a quick exit in the playoffs i mean it was uh i'm sure there was a lot going on for him and so i think 
an offseason for Mark andre Fleury, just kind of settle in, make some good family decisions, and figure out where he wants to play maybe one or two more years. Um, I'd be surprised if it's not Minnesota because it seemed like a good fit. It seemed like he enjoyed his teammates, but uh, I'm sure there's 31 other teams out there that would love him as well. Yeah, is two years, I mean, two years, three million in that range, is that what you suspect is going to get this done? Uh, you know, I'd have to look more closely at the Wilds cap situation, honestly, Dana, to know what they can afford. I know they are up against it. Uh, but I would think that for Marc-Andre Fleury, that type of deal would, um, you know, be offered by a bunch of clubs. Um, you know, whether you consider them a, a one or a one A or, or a backup or, or some combination thereof. I think his, his season last year was, um, you know, the numbers weren't great with Chicago, but that was a tough situation there. His save percentage was probably um, better than maybe like the record would indicate, right? Because the Blackhawks had a, you know, a struggle of a season. Yeah, they played uh, horrible in the Wild. Yeah. Yeah, he played great with the Wild and stretches, um, playoffs. You know, I, I think that is where the big question remains. Like some folks might say he didn't live up to the billing in round one against the Blues. I thought he was fine. He gave up a few rebounds here or there in the series, but for the most part, um, you know, he he was right there uh, in many of those games. It's not like the Wild were severely outmatched and goaltending was the difference. Um, obviously, he didn't even play the final game. Cam Talbot started game six. So I think there's just some questions there whether or not, um, you know, from the Wild fan base about what direction they're going to go. But, again, I, I think that Marc-Andre Fleury coming back makes a lot of sense for both sides. Well, we debated this last week. Um, and this is my last question for you, Joe. But we debated this last week. There was an ESPN way too early power ranking that came out. <laughs> in your opinion, who's the second best team in the West right now? Well, I'm assuming you're putting Colorado at number one. Um, I am. It's way too. I, <laughs> it, I, it's, it's way too early. I mean, like, what's Edmonton going to do? Right? Does Edmonton are they able to reload and improve the goaltending position? Because if that's the case, then you know maybe they're there. I. I was very impressed by Calgary all season long, but the Johnny Gaudreau elephant in the room. You know, if, if Johnny Hockey doesn't come back to Calgary, I can't put them number two. Um, boy, that's a tough question. Um, throwing me on the spot there. Well, and, I guess spe- specifically, Joe, I yeah. mean, they listed Vegas as the number two team in the West. I'm not willing to push no, them up yet. I think that's yeah. too much. Yep, yeah, I agree. I would agree with that assessment. Not that they can't be. Uh, I think a lot of us, if this was a year ago, would probably have agreed with that assessment. Uh, but Vegas has had, obviously, so much turnover, the big Eichel trade, so many injuries last year that I don't think you can really ever truly account for like how much that hurt that hockey team. But I know the couple times the Wild played them, uh, it was a shell of the Vegas Golden Knights that we all expected from the start of the season. So I think it's too early to start pegging where teams are going to be. Let's see what shakes out the draft and free agency. Uh, who's healthy going into camp, and then I think you'd have a much better idea of you know, how those horses might finish. Well, Joe, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, what, what's the plans for the summer? Everybody in the NHL seems to have a cottage. Is that the same case for you? <laughs> uh, we just bought a house in Minnesota. You have a house? Uh, closed, oh, you up- closed last upgraded. Friday. Upgraded. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to move the family up uh, from Des Moines, Iowa here probably in about a month or five weeks and try and get settled there in time for the start of the season and the, and the new school year. So, yeah, this past year I was traveling back and forth a lot from, from Des Moines where we lived the last uh, now nine years and uh, calling games for Minnesota. But uh, now we're, now we're going to be uh, settling up in the state of hockey. Uh, Joe, just so you know, when I was – 
20 years old, I took a bus cross-country from Vegas to New York. One of our stops was in Des Moines, Iowa at 2 o'clock in the yep. morning. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I, I still remember it to this day. It was a, a fantastic experience. <laughs> For all 12 minutes you were there? It, it was crazy. I mean, it, it's the quietest city. Yes, yeah, what I think we I know up. that bus stop. I think I, know, I think I know that bus stop downtown, by the way. So, uh, yeah, Des Moines is a great spot, though. Um, all kidding aside, it is a wonderful town, um, great people, and uh, a growing hockey market. So we, we really enjoyed being here the last nine years. Well, it, if you're moving, that means you're moving up in the hockey world, and that's always a plus. So we, we always appreciate your time, and we'll have you on again uh, in a couple months or so when we start the team previews. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, bud. All right, there he goes, Joe O'Donnell, broadcaster for the Minnesota Wild. That does it for another day on Sportsbook Radio. Of course, we want to thank Chuck Esposito for coming on a little bit longer. And, of course, Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period in the NHL Radio Network. And Joe O'Donnell, the broadcaster for the Minnesota Wild, play-by-play broadcaster uh, for the Minnesota Wild. Chris, you okay, buddy? Struggling, man. Yeah, it's been a long day for you. It's been a long day. Sorry. Talk. Tomorrow gonna be better. Or? Tomorrow might be better, depending on how this uh, revisit with getting my braces fixed because they didn't put the wire in the right spot. I had to go back to the dentist today and talk to them about that. So that's gonna be fun. Oh, jeez. Yeah. For Chris the Moose Johnson, I'm Dana Lane. We appreciate you listening. We'll see you tomorrow after tomorrow morning. Once again, have a great afternoon. But they grab the puck and go bursting up and they're down across the line. They storm the trees like bumblebees. They travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside. It's a one-one hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Take me where hockey players face off down the rink And the Stanley Cup is all filled up for the champs who win the drink Now the final flick of the hockey stick and the one gigantic scream The puck is in, the Canadians win the good old hockey game Oh, hockey game is the best game you can name And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game Game you can name, and the best game you can name is the good old.